The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. Hey guys, welcome to this week's edition of Welcome to Atlanta. We appreciate you guys making us your weekly destination to catch up with some of our favorite uh, Atlanta and Georgia guests, uh, both past and present. Let's not waste any time. Let's get to this week's edition of Welcome to Atlanta. All right, so uh, Eric, let's play a little catch up here since uh, the weirdness of 2020, and I mean that in every possible way, is is hopefully a little bit behind us, but there was no minor league season, so... Tell me about the restart to the minor leagues and how different things will look on the field for the media, for the scouts, all the above. Well, there's certainly going to be a lot of changes in access. I know we're kind of just now on the media side, kind of understanding what it's going to take. And for the moment, it seems like, you know, player access and things like that's going to be a little bit more constrained. Uh, having to sign a lot of waivers, you know, just to kind of make sure that everyone understands, that, you know, there's li- you know, for liability concerns with COVID and all that stuff. But, you know, beyond that, I mean, I think that the, the one – quote-unquote nice thing about the minor leagues is you're never going to see you know 15 20,000 people at a minor league game so you know it's not the capacity concerns you know generally speaking aren't going to be as big of a concern uh my understanding is that there's gonna be a little bit of spacing out you know sort of pod type stuff uh, at the minor league level but uh, the minor league teams are still kind of getting guidance even now i mean we're only a couple weeks away from the minor league season and you know they're just now kind of getting guidance from the league as to kind of what will work and what won't work and i'm sure it's going to be locality based too I know the the Georgia affiliates, you know, it's going to be, you know, just say, you know, best practices type stuff. But, you know, in some other states, you know, you know, in the Pacific Coast League with California and, you know, other places like that, it's just going to be a different sort of situation. So we're we're, we're kind of all getting our getting our bearings in terms of how the minor league season is going to work. But, you know, I'm just kind of glad that baseball is happening because, you know, other than the guys who are going to be kind of at the alternate site and going to have to be ready to go to go to the major leagues if need be, you know, it's kind of nice, nice to be back to getting back to normal at the minor league level. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, what about the reorganization of different affiliations? And let's specifically talk about the Braves. How different will the minor league system look? Uh, it's very different. We're used to seeing, you know, four leagues operate uh, low A through triple A. Um, and then we have once the draft happens, then you kind of start getting into rookie ball. But those rookie ball affiliates are no more. What's happening now is that it's getting condensed down to four leagues. We've lost the Danville Braves. Uh, the GCL Braves aren't really operating in the same way. You know, I think there's some talk about once guys get drafted that they'll go down to, you know, kind of get individual workouts and kind of get used to being in an organization before they get assigned anywhere. But even that, we don't really know. Um, the biggest changes, other than losing Danville and GCL, is uh, that Rome is no longer their low A affiliate. Uh, they moved up to high A, uh, which replaces the Florida Fire Frogs, which, in my personal opinion, is a very welcome change. Uh, Florida is kind of known for just being constant rainouts. Uh, the league was particularly it was pitch, it was really pitching friendly. Uh, not a lot of resources down there. It was one of the few league, one of the few affiliates that the Braves didn't own, so that kind of created its own set of problems. So Rome moves up. Rome's really highly regarded in terms of you know kind of the administrative staff that they have there. They're great up there, and at low A now we get the Augusta Green Jackets. So now all the affiliates outside of Mississippi are just right by where 
you know, the, the Braves play, and so that's going to allow kind of the organization to, you know, condense its resources to be able to, to monitor these guys. It's really hard to kind of monitor your top prospects when they're spread all over the place. Um, and Augusta's, you know, brand new to the organization. They'll be their low-A affiliate. And it's going to be a good time. Um, again, it's nice to be able to travel to like really easily to three different affiliates now. Uh, and I'm going to be making the trip to Mississippi as well for no other reason that, you know, I've been kind of keep putting it off. But, you know, with COVID happening last year and not being able to see, you know, any minor league baseball, I'm not taking anything for granted this time. So let's let's dig into some of the names here because I know everybody listening. It's like it's a different feel, Eric. And I always find it fascinating that we went through the rebuild. And I think Braves fans interest like, I don't know, I'll put a percentage on it. 80 to 90% was all about the prospects because that's the future and that's all they had to hold on to. Now that the team is very good, most of the attention is on what's happening at the big league level, but there's still like an eye on the future. So I guess the place to start is if I was, if I was looking at the top of the Braves minor league rankings of their system, is there a clear number one or are there two or three guys that you could make cases for? Okay, so this is kind of when we get into a gray area as to what a prospect is, because uh, you know, well, because you can consider the Ian Anderson and Christian Pache, both guys who have. I mean, Pache is obviously hurt, but those are guys who have major league jobs, right? Right. But you know, but so technically speaking, since they're still rookie eligible uh, and they haven't, you know, like surpassed that cap, they're still considered prospects. Those are the clear one, two. Uh, we had Ian first, but you know, like you could flip flop those two. Again, it just depends on what you're what you're looking for and kind of how high of a ceiling you see on those two guys. But if you're not counting those guys, it gets a little murkier. Um, Drew Waters is a guy that is a polarizing name. Uh, some some scouts kind of don't necessarily like his approach. He's, he does have some certainly some swing and miss. Uh, and there's some some questions about whether or not he's kind of uh, he's a very loud personality. And that kind of for some scouts are like that they're not big fans of it. And for some of it, they really love it because it's you know he's a really passionate guy. It's not like a attitudinal problem where he has problems with teammates and stuff like that. It's just kind of a you know again he's just a loud personality. But he's been hitting the cover off the ball down uh, in minor league camp this spring. Uh, and, you know, considering a team that is dealing with a lot of injury issues, it's kind of nice to see him performing well uh, since he is going to be right up in AAA. So if you're going to give, like, a nod to, like, you know, the next guy up after those two, it's probably Drew just because of his proximity to the majors. But do not sleep on Michael Harris because this kid can hit. He has all the athletic tools that you need. Um, he's put on some more muscle uh, since he was drafted by the Braves uh, on day two. And he is still moving around really well. He's probably going to be a corner outfielder, but he's hitting again, hitting the cover off the ball. He was given a lot of these guys who we think very highly of uh, in the major leagues, you know, particularly Ian Anderson. He's been given those guys. He's been given those guys fits for a couple of years now uh, at the alternate site. You know, just hitting home runs. Uh, he can go the other way. Just can you know can run, can field. It's just there's a lot of things this guy does well. So I would not be shocked if we're talking about Michael Harris by midseason as a guy that might be the best, one of the best prospects in the system. Well, I want to ask you about both a little bit more in depth because boy, the Michael Harris hype train, especially this spring really picked up steam. So I'll talk about him in a minute, but so drew waters, Eric, you mentioned, and I've heard the same thing. You put eyes on him. I've only seen him very little, but I heard the swing and miss is, is something that you have to contend with. So with that being said though, like, and this is the toughest thing, how far away is he? And, and I'll frame it this way. If the Braves continue with injury concerns in the outfield, would they feel comfortable at some point this summer bringing up Drew Waters? 
I think it's entirely possible. You know, we always have to deal with the the, the service time demons and you know, having to deal with 40-man considerations because they have guys on their roster. But, you know, when you lose Pache and Ender and Ciarte, which, you know, the latter isn't – you're not exactly losing a ton offensively. But, you know, that seems like Ender's injury is going to be going for a little while. So it kind of comes down to – what's going on with Pache. Because if that's a long-term injury, you can't just necessarily just be running out Guillermo Heredia out there in center field every day on a team that wants, that has real playoff aspirations. You need some upside. And Drew would provide that. Now, it's hard. The, the swing and miss is interesting because some of it's an approach thing. He's just an aggressive hitter. He likes to swing early and counts and kind of jump on guys. Uh, and it's also like, the last time we saw him, the swing from the right side wasn't quite as good. Uh, and again, we've seen this problem with switch hitters, and there's kind of weaker on one side or the other. But I will say with a fair amount of confidence that you know he's looked really, really good this spring. And other than a short stint in AAA where he was only okay, Drew has hit everywhere he's gone. And, you know, there's just going to be some swing and miss with kind of how his approach is. And we've, we see a lot of guys with swing and miss issues that are just really aggressive. You know, Ronald Cunha was, you know, up until this year, he was a very aggressive hitter and he struck out a lot. But we didn't really care all that much because of the overall tool package. And Drew has, you know, obviously he's not like an Acunian type, you know, in terms of athleticism. You know, he's, Acunia's a, a genetic freak. But, you know, he runs, he fields, he can play all three outfield positions, uh, has, has a good arm, uh, hits from both sides of the plate. Maybe he won't hit for as much average as you want, but he hits the crap out of the ball. He'll steal bases. These are all positives that go in Drew's direction. Uh, it really kind of just ultimately depends on how that first month actually getting under games where you're in the minor leagues and actually going against other guys that are not in your organization whose sole mission in life is to get you out to prove that they can belong in the major leagues. If Drew's still performing then and the Braves are still dealing with some injury issues, I wouldn't be shocked if Drew gets a long look. Follow the podcast Park on social media for live updates as new episodes hit and behind-the-scenes looks at all our shows. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Podcast Park. I want to talk about one of our great sponsors at The Rhodes Group. Yes, my buddy Clayton Rhodes and The Rhodes Group are a proud sponsor of us here at Welcome to Atlanta, and they're also my insurance company. Uh, it was about, I don't know, four or five months ago now that I finally realized why am I paying so much for my home and car insurance? I don't think we realize as the consumer we should be shopping or having somebody in a professional setting shop those rates for us. So I had the professionals at the Rhodes Group shop my rates and they ended up saving me a boatload of money. I'm talking about $2,000 for my home and car insurance. By now you guys know it's a great time to refinance your home. You see all those rates. Well, you might not know it's also a great time to shop your home insurance. Home insurance rates creep up every year, and the only way to get the best policy and the best rate is to work with an independent insurance agency like the Rhodes Group. Here's the deal. You can get up to 10 insurance quotes in 10 minutes from the Rhodes Group at no cost to you. You want to visit them online, i got a special landing page for you. You can go to roads-group.com slash churnoff. It's spelled R-H-O-A-D-S. roads-group.com slash churnoff. You can also see the link up at Real Matlana on Twitter. They're my insurance company. They're going to do this at no cost to you, and you're going to end up saving a boatload. The Rhodes Group is the answer to saving money and getting the best in insurance coverage. Again, the Rhodes Group is the place you want to go. Tell them Matt sent you. Go to roads-group.com slash churnoff. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. 
You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Okay, that's interesting. Let's then advance it. Let's say the injury bug is kind of better in Atlanta. Drew has a good year in the minors. Baseball comes to its senses with the new CBA and we get the universal DH. Would I feel confident penciling Drew Waters in, in in left field next season with Ozuna being the DH in Atlanta? If Drew's if Drew's hitting, and again, you, like you're not, if he if he's striking out forty percent of the time, it's probably not a good idea, right? But if it's like you know twenty twenty five percent of the time at AAA, and then you really need to get Ozuna out of left, which it's kind of it can look a little rough out there. Uh, his, his arm isn't very good. Uh, he is they've been kind of planning for this DH to happen. I would not be surprised if Drew ends up being the guy that that, that comes up and fills in that, that outfield spot. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if like you know next spring. You know, if Michael Harris goes wild, too, that he's in a conversation where people are really clamoring for him. Now, for in his case, he's so young that he would have to be putting up, like, some big, big-time numbers to kind of get into that conversation. But, again, that's that gives Drew another full year at AAA, uh, which we're, we're projecting where he's going to be. And if he's hitting really well there, then what else are you waiting for from the guy, to be blunt? Well, then, so cause that's a perfect transition because the Michael Harris talk, and, and boy, it's been substantial. And you guys, you know, had a chance to at least scout and watch and, and see him grow before the rest of us who are, you know, Johnny come lately's on this stuff have, have heard about him. How aggressive do you think they're going to be with Harris throughout this season? So I think that the – it's hard to guess what the plan is because with, how does a team gauge what happens at the alternate site in terms of development, right? Because you mean you're, you're definitely putting on another year of age, and you know you there's changes in bodies and stuff like that. So the Braves historically have been it's been a bit mixed. Sometimes they're like this guy's really young, we'll start him in low A because Michael still hasn't played in full season ball other than very briefly during his draft year at Rome. Now high school draftees don't ever get put full season full season ball, but they put Mike there for a little bit, and he didn't play particularly well, or at least the results weren't great. But he seemed to really impress a lot of people in terms of kind of his approach to the game, his maturity. And it was a really small sample. If you're a kid drafted right out of high school and you go against low A competition, he's going to have some struggles. But everyone seems to love him. He was really, really good at the alternate site. He and so he's looked. He looked good this spring. Obviously, everyone everyone liked him. Snicker, Snicker really enjoyed having him uh, uh, back there in major in major league camp. And if he's hitting the ball really well, particularly in minor league spring, I wouldn't be shocked if they started him at Double A. I think what's more likely to happen is that they start him at High A, 
because he has a little bit of time in low A, and maybe they think that he's advanced enough and that he can they can put him at high A with that kind of alternate side experience under his belt and put him right back at Rome where it puts him where he can be monitored by player development staff very easily and then just kind of see what he does. If he's, you know, after a month, if he's, you know, has a, you know, a 1,000 OPS down, down there at Rome, then, you know, they might bump him up to Mississippi. They're going to give the, I think they're going to let the guy play up if he, if he does the job. Um, and that's ultimately what it comes down to is just going to be results in his particular case. I wouldn't, again, if he's really hitting the cover off the ball and they feel like he could be something special that we've seen the Braves with Colby Allard, Mike Soroka, we've seen them be really aggressive with starts and putting guys at double a, and then we've seen them be, you know, put Ronald Acuna started high a, and then, you know, no one could get him out. And he, he rocketed through the system all the way to the AAA, and that's when everyone got to know him. So, you know, it could go either way. My guess, though, is that he starts at high A. All right, I want to ask you about the catchers, and I, and I feel like it's so unfair because you can like both for different reasons, and it's a great situation for the Braves to be in when you've got Langoliers, and you spent a lot of, you know, quality capital in the draft to get him. We've seen a little bit of William Contreras, and the bat is rather enticing. We'll talk about both, but just let me get, like, a top-line thought. Do you have a preference between the two? It's close. I think I prefer Contreras right now just because of a combination of proximity to the majors uh, as well as I like the bat a little better, I think. Um, It's a tough call, and I think that people need to understand something about catching specifically is that the one thing that's the hardest thing to learn, Shane Langlier's defensively, like in terms of picking off guys, throwing out runners, is the better defensive catcher full stop. He's one of the better defensive catchers, period, in, in, in terms of prospects across baseball. Uh, and that's one, that, was, that was his calling card. That's why he was drafted so high. However, he didn't call his own games when he was in college. He wasn't managing the pitching staff in the same way that you do in the major leagues than he was in college. And he doesn't have a lot of experience doing that. So if I'm talking about proximity and like being ready to be in the major league level, just yet i'm just not there with shea and combination of that with the fact that he has power in his bat and you know he, he for a catcher he can hit just fine but if i'm look, comparing those two i like that Contreras has more reps in terms of working with a lot of the, catch, the pitchers that are currently in atlanta as well as just kind of just reps as being a catcher calling his own games in general he's no slouch defensively either it's not like you're having a, a situation where he can't control a running game back there um but you know you like the bat enough that you don't really care Instead, he's you know he's a very very competent defensive catcher, and he has more reps just behind the plate in general. Combined with the fact that I like the bat a little better, I, I, I give an edge to Contreras. But I mean, it could be a situation where we get back to minor league games, and you know Langlier's is going wild at the plate too, and then we have to reevaluate our thinking a little bit because it's really close. Well, and that's right. That's the beauty of all this. That I mean, as these guys develop, the opinion on them changes, and yeah, that's yep. probably the best way to look at it. Eric, do you see a situation where they can? And maybe this is the best term, coexist. Like, could one be the backup to the other? Or is it just too much value to waste one only playing a day or two a week? So I have very specific feelings on this. I understand what the Braves are doing right now because TDA is just a much better hitter and a much better player than Alex Jackson is right now. And combine that with the fact that if you were he was up there right now and you have Darno there, Darno Snit's going to play Darno 80, 90% of the time, regardless of who that backup catcher is. That's just that's just what's going to happen, uh, and you want to give Contreras that that amount of time. Now, once Darno is no longer with the organization, that's an interesting question because if he hits really well this year, do you really want to just not try to extend the guy, uh, and then just put it in the hands of a rookie, put it in the hands of a rookie catcher? That seems 
diff, a difficult decision to make. What I would do is I would do what you're advocating is to have both because the, the wear and tear that's on catchers over the course of a long season is exceptionally brutal. Uh, and in Atlanta, particularly because it's so hot and you're wearing all that gear, you know, we've seen what happens to catchers over time in Atlanta. It's just, you know, by the time they get down to September, you know, the guys are, you know, super worn out, beat up. Uh, particularly with older catchers, it seems like that they get like the, the bat is twice as heavy as, as it was, you know, the start of the year. And if you split up those duties, I think that you can eliminate some of those issues and you can get some offensive production from those guys. Uh, in terms of like you know the actual defensive part of things, I think that you know long term it preserves guys' knees to kind of split guys up that way. My problem is is I don't know if that's something that. Snitcher is willing to do, um, especially if like one guy goes on a hot streak, all of a sudden he's starting six out of seven games, and then you have a top flight catching prospect that's you know playing what twenty games a year, uh, and that's probably not a great use of value. So what I would do is I would give you know like maybe a guy that has like you know, do like a sixty five thirty five split or move things around just kind of depending on matchups or how guys are feeling and things like that. But at the same time, I'm not sure if that's what ends up being executed in Atlanta. All right, let me ask you about uh, Braden Shoemake because there are realities, and I know Braves fans hate this stuff. And I, Eric, I've joked. I didn't get into sports talk radio to do financial talk, but like, like it dominates <laughs> every aspect of what we do. And with the Liberty Media you know, ownership group putting a number on the Braves, there's realities of who can stay and who can't and how they're going to manage the roster. And I'm fascinated to see if they're going to be able to keep this young core together. And one of the names is Dansby Swanson especially when you spent so much on Braden Shoemake, who, correct me if I'm wrong, Eric, that Braden Shoemake was described with the ugly U word as a utility type player when he was drafted, but now has settled more into shortstop defensively, growing into his body. Like, is there a chance Shoemake is the future of short if there's a financial crunch and they can't keep Dansby? Um, I think it's possible. I, I was in, the, I and I remain myself in the camp that I think that Shoemake may be better served as a utility guy. And my issue is, and he moves around really well, and that's that, that's not where my issue lies. It's just that sometimes his throws from short look great. Sometimes he short armed them a little bit, and they weren't as they weren't as crisp as I think that some of the scouting reports that we were seeing from some of the list, at least from what I saw, were. Uh, I have some issues too with, and you know, maybe that's just better served, you know, playing over in second base sometimes, uh, and moving around the diamond. It just all comes down to how much he hits, and he has like an, a really open stance and a kind of a line drive approach, which can either be great, or it can end up where he doesn't hit for enough power and it's not enough impact, bat, enough of an impact bat to really play, be an everyday guy. So. He's the one guy that has been the hardest for me to like rank and evaluate because we only saw him for a little bit. And he certainly hit for a bunch of average, a high average. And as a really advanced college hitter, like not that surprising that the lower levels of minors didn't provide that much of a challenge for him. But he's put on some muscle. Uh, he seems to be kind of wanting to be able to be an impact bat and has kind of taken some of that to heart. I need to see maybe that really open stance of his, if he's closed that up a little bit, and because it's really hard to get a lot of power with that really open stance. We've seen it, but not a lot. And, you know, this year will be a big, that will be a big decision. If he is hitting for power and he's also, you know, looks really good at shortstop, you know, maybe you start thinking to Dansby, you know, a guy who's sometimes he looks awesome. And, you know, defensively he's, you know, other than that one awful season where he just couldn't stop making errors to save his life, you know, offensively is the issue for him and is staying healthy too. You know, he has like minor injuries and all of a sudden he's gone for a month and a half. Um, it's tough. And, you know, in Dansby's case, there was already kind of like a, a, a bit of a difference of opinions in terms of their arbitration numbers. And then maybe this next year, depending on how well he performs this year, 
does that difference in opinion continue, especially when you have a guy like Shoemaker around? I still think that that's kind of like a long-term decision. I don't think that's like a 2022-type situation where I think that Dansby's going to be the shortstop then. But after that, it, it kind of comes down to it. And I think that Dansby has some aspirations in terms of financially and for his brand that, you know, he's not going to be a guy that you're going to be able to sign for, you know, a three-year $16 million deal once it's time for him to get off his rookie deal. So maybe that's a decision that can be made. But I, I, in Braden's case in particular, I need more information about what that bat looks like and what he looks like at short over a longer sample before I start deciding that, you know, he's a kind of an easy guy to slot in at Dansby Leeds. Follow the podcast park on social media for live updates as new episodes hit and behind the scenes looks at all our shows. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at the podcast park. I want to talk about one of our great sponsors at the Rhodes Group. Yes, my buddy Clayton Rhodes and the Rhodes Group are a proud sponsor of us here at Welcome to Atlanta. And they're also my insurance company. Uh, it was about, I don't know, four or five months ago now that I finally realized why am I paying so much for my home and car insurance? I don't think we realize as the consumer we should be shopping or having somebody in a professional setting shop those rates for us. So I had the professionals at the Rhodes Group shop my rates and they ended up saving me a boatload of money. I'm talking about $2,000 for my home and car insurance. By now you guys know it's a great time to refinance your home. You see all those rates. Well, you might not know it's also a great time to shop your home insurance. Home insurance rates creep up every year, and the only way to get the best policy and the best rate is to work with an independent insurance agency like the Rhodes Group. Here's the deal. You can get up to 10 insurance quotes in 10 minutes from the Rhodes Group at no cost to you. You want to visit them online, i got a special landing page for you. You can go to roads-group.com slash churnoff. It's spelled R-H-O-A-D-S. roads-group.com slash churnoff. You can also see the link up at Real Matlana on Twitter. They're my insurance company. They're going to do this at no cost to you, and you're going to end up saving a boatload. The Rhodes Group is the answer to saving money and getting the best in insurance coverage. Again, the Rhodes Group is the place you want to go. Tell them Matt sent you. Go to roads-group.com slash churnoff. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President Stacy Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacy's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. 
Uh, I thought you did a good job, too, of kind of chronicling the the weird year last year for minor league baseball that some guys got alternate site experience, but it's not the same as game experience, so it changes sort of the trajectory of, of when guys might be closer to the bigs, which leads me into the, the discussion about the two lefties. Give me your thoughts right now on where we are with Kyle Muller and, and Tucker Davidson. Are they still profiled as starters here? Is there a pivot on one or both of them? What do you think the future is? I would not be shocked if Tucker Davidson ends up as a reliever. I, I worry a little bit about the secondary pitches with him. Uh, the fastball is is, is live. Um, it, it can be a bit flat, but it's uh, it's a it's a live pitch, and he's worked really hard, particularly doing like work with like the the drive line guys, et cetera, et cetera, kind of getting that velocity up, and that certainly helps his cause quite a bit. And you know, Tucker's a, a great story. He you know was drafted as a reliever out of a small college, and then when he was at Rome, they're like, "Hey, we'll try starting him," and then he ends up putting up a you know a sub three ERA and you know one of Rome's better pitchers that year. So you know, I never want to bet against a guy like that. But in terms of the secondaries at the major league level. I, I just, I'm not sure if he ends up getting there. Uh, Muller, I think, is a starter. Uh, I like the breaking ball a lot. I love the frame. Uh, you won't find a more intimidating frame uh, in baseball when a guy is six seven and two fifty, and you know is towing trucks on on his Twitter feed and stuff like that. He's you know he's he's built like he can do the job. Um, again, a guy that kind of had to come back from he was drafted uh, in you know in Ian Anderson's draft where they were very fortunate to save some money with that slot and were able to pick up two first round talent type guys in Joey Wentz and, and Muller. And, you know, I really like that, you know, Muller had some mechanical and, like, some minor shoulder issues that, like, dipped his velocity early on. Uh, but he put in the work. No one works out more than that guy. He just – it's just not true. And he got his velocity back up 95, 96. He comes over the top with a big breaking ball. And, you know, the, the change-up's a work in progress. I like the movement on the pitches. You know, command is the biggest thing with him. And, you know, again, not being able to see these guys in game action, it's just going to be kind of wait and see. It's not, And it's not just that first time through the order. It's, you know, once you start getting a little tired, can you still command this big-time stuff? Because throwing 96 is kind of becoming pedestrian, but being able to throw 96 where you want it, is still a very valuable skill. And that's kind of what's going to come down to with Muller is just kind of being able to get that command. But I wouldn't be surprised if he is like pretty clearly the next guy that the Braves look to. Interesting. What about Freddie Tarnock? I mean, we know about the live arm, but what is his future? Is he in the bullpen? Is he a guy who can do enough to be a starter? How would he fit in? I want so badly to believe in Tarnock. Uh, I really, really do, but he's moved really slow. Um, and he was always kind of a raw project-type arm. And in short stints when he was a reliever at Rome, you know, the curveball played up, the fastball played up, he could throw 98. But, you know, as a starter, it just never really seemed like the command was there. And, you know, you hear things that, you know, like, I know the numbers aren't good, but, you know, he, he's really making some progress with his command. We really like what the, the breaking ball and the fastball are doing. But I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. He was, if he is up at Double A and performing well, then I'll change my mind. But right now, I think he has kind of a reliever profile, which again, for a, a kid like that, where you're kind of taking a bet on for a live arm, that's not a bad outcome. But at the same time, in terms of him starting, I'm a bit skeptical. Uh, what about Jared Schuster? Because it's weird, right? Again, I told you during the rebuild, you know, we followed every first round pick and, and Ian and Kyle and you know Soroka. Because of what happened last year, there was nothing to, to follow, and you know it's gone all quiet. What is your feeling on Schuster? How quick can he move? Uh, I suspect that there may be an injury issue there. Uh, oh. I, I, and again, I don't really have anything to like report on beyond the fact that like you just don't hear anything about him in spring. You don't really hear anything about him out of the alternate site other than like he existed there. Um, so I wonder if maybe there's a, there's a little bit of something going on with him. And you know, again, when he was at Wake, and he kind of has that sort of you. you 
one should be a little bit suspicious of a guy that all of a sudden is throwing significantly harder and, you know, has, has a big jump in his stuff uh, to kind of jump to a first round, uh, first round conversation. And when you have a guy like that, who's a first round pick, and all of a sudden we don't like we, we don't really see him in spring. We're not there's not really talk about kind of what he was doing in spring, et cetera, et cetera. I, I again I think there may be something going on. I don't have anything to, like to report on that end, but we just haven't heard anything about like how he's looked or how he's been pitching. And I think it's because he hasn't been pitching in games. And right. if that's the case, it kind of makes you worry a little bit. But you know, again, we we like the arm. It was it certainly wasn't a bad pick when it was made. Um, and you know, it might just be something that's like a minor situation where he's kind of building back up into something. But with all the other picks that we're kind of seeing throwing, we've heard that Bryce Elders looked good uh, down there down there in minor league camp. We've certainly we've heard that Spencer Strider has has pitched well, which frankly wasn't a bet that I was willing to make because that wasn't a pick that I was particularly excited about. But it turns out he's you know pitching well. We haven't heard anything about Schuster. So again, I'm just I'm kind of wait and see. But I, I if the minor league season starts up and we don't see Schuster pitching right away, I'm not going to be surprised. I want to ask you a couple of organizational things to finish up, but one more player question. If, in fact, the Universal DH does come through with the new CBA, and we know Marcel's here for three years, so there's nothing on the doorstep, are there a couple of names? I know Bryce Ball is one the Braves fans have seen a little bit in spring training and heard about, but are there a few guys that are either blocked positionally or just profile more of a bat and less of a glove? So Bryce Ball is the easy answer there. Uh, he's built like a DH. <laughs> exactly. He's he's, yeah. he, uh, he's you know a big giant guy. He's built more like Aaron Judge, but with feel to hit. And I think that that's an important thing with Bryce. There's big. We've seen big giant guys, you know, coming out of you know like if they ever get a hold of ball. I mean, that, the Braves had a prospect Austin Bush a couple of years ago. You know, he was you know he was. 270 and I had to look up at him and I'm not a short guy. Um, and he was hitting, you know, balls and batting practice 500 feet, but he just didn't hit him very often because he was more of a masher than a, a real hitter. But in Bryce's case, he, he has some feel to hit. He can go the other way if he needs to. Uh, and then if you make a mistake over the middle of the plate, he's going to launch up off 150 feet and, and spectators are going to be getting out of the way when that ball lands. So uh, he's the kind of the easy guy. Uh, don't sleep on Makai Backstrom either. He's another guy who's a, kind of a first base profile, uh, younger guy. Uh, and if he had not had vision issues his senior year in high school, that's more of a day one talent as opposed to the day three talent where the Braves are able to kind of give him a little bit of an overslot. Uh, we love the bat speed. We love the body. We love kind of the overall raw power. We don't see him very much. Again, he's a guy that wasn't even at the alternate site. He, he was having to work out on his own, but he's a guy that has that sort of profile of a bat that if he, you know, again, this is a high school draftee, so there's a lot of variance here, but if he comes up and he's, you know, at Augusta and he's, you know, again, a guy that's hitting the crap out of the ball, he becomes in that conversation because, you know, assuming the Braves don't mess this up and, and extend Freddie, which we hope will happen, uh, you know, he's a guy that, you know, might hit enough where you can kind of start thinking maybe he's a DH long term. All right. So let's finish up with a couple of just general, like, organizational things. How different now, because they've made a lot of transition with Alex and, and the people he wanted to put in place, how different is their philosophy from the old group that, I mean, it was pretty clear like, they went high school arm after high school arm for the most part. Um, international, probably more bats, and then you know traded for some as well. How different is this philosophy now? Well, we don't know what their international philosophy is because they haven't really been able to sign exactly, any, yeah. any any guys. Um, the, we we like the bat that they signed in the past uh, IFA period, uh, and I think that that's the way to go with the in terms of international free agents. Is you you kind of target bats, you get guys with young, you get those are just generally where the best athletes are there. Um, you, you, when you're signing 15 year old pitchers, you know, the guys who are impressing you are probably guys are, that have been, you know, gearing up maybe a little bit too much and the wear and tears a little bit much. You just don't see a lot of IFA pitchers 
that end up reaching particularly high ceilings, if that makes any sense. Uh, whereas bats, you said that seems like a great, a great place for your money. Uh, pitching is, you know, an interesting, it's just interesting situation right now because I personally like the Brian Bridges approach is more of kind of targeting those high, high school arms where you can kind of, you know, mold them and develop them a bit. But the Braves seem to be targeting kind of more college arms of late in the last couple of years and just college, just college players in general. And they just feel more comfortable with their analytical models that, you know, that they're at least going to get some value. There's, it certainly lessens the risk, but I do think it question, it brings into questionable ceilings. And I think that there are situations with these analytical models with targeting college arms in particular, where guys, you know, again, we have pop-ups where, you know, all of a sudden that, that one year they, you know, when you're only pitching in college for two years and those models privilege those two years significantly more versus what you know guys in high school do, which again makes sense. I mean, a guy striking out twenty high school batters is a pretty significant difference. But I think that it means that there's some guys who are uh, maybe overtaxing their arms or doing things mechanically that make them more reliever prone. But they're throwing really hard in college and putting up some big numbers that kind of goose those numbers a bit. So I'm of the opinion that you just kind of have to, you know, you take the best player available, but I think that they should be targeting some high school players earlier on more, but they're not. And I think that that's going to continue. I think that it's very likely that for the foreseeable future, they're going to be focusing focusing on those college guys who kind of, you know, again, lean into those more analytical models the best. So you mentioned the international market there, and we know the Braves have not been able to dip their toe or any part of their body in the international market now for a while. (laughs) So how much has that hurt the organizational depth when it comes to just you know value of pieces they have up and down throughout the minor league system oh it's obviously a big deal right um there's you know you just don't have the you just don't have the depth in the the nice thing about the international market is that the top guys are going to get paid regardless right and um and the braves do the braves did get one of the better ifa guys um in this past period but those guys that you spend Thirty thousand, forty thousand dollars on not the not always the ten thousand dollar guys. Uh, William Contreras was a, was a was like a ten thousand dollar signing, and he was a little bit older for his IFA period, and obviously that worked out great. Uh, Ron Lacuna was not an expense was not a particularly expensive international free agent, and obviously that worked out great. But you know, it's those guys that you spend thirty five, forty thousand dollars, and then all of a sudden they you know once they get to stateside, they put on something, they get better meals, they get better nutrition, better you know a bit just better training in terms of you know weightlifting and things like that. And all of a sudden, they kind of grow into these bodies all of a sudden, and you really have something on your hands. So those, those kinds of gambles really help your depth in the minor leagues. Just kind of, and again, most of those guys won't work out, but they have, Braves really haven't been able to do any of that. They, just, you know, they haven't been able to really kind of dip their, dip their toes into much at all. And this next signing period, hopefully, they'll be able to kind of get back to that depth. But one nice thing about the minor league organization is that reorganization is that you don't have to fill out rosters for Danville and, and the GCL. So it's not as like you – would have a whole lot of spots for those kinds of guys anyway, uh, just kind of filling out spots for your Dominican Summer League roster, which, you know, based on what our cursory looks at, what those have looked like over the past couple of years, have certainly looked pretty rough. But overall, you know, again, it, it certainly impacts depth. But, one again, one nice thing about the minor league reorganization is that you don't have as much depth that you have to fill. I will tell the audience, as if you haven't noticed over the last 30 minutes, Eric Cole, to me, is as good as it gets, breaking down all things Braves, and their minor league organizations, their systems, top to bottom. He's one of my favorite reads, one of my favorite listens. Tell folks where they can hear your work if they want more, because, again, I just you know parrot your stuff, so I'm sure they'd rather hear it from you. 
Oh, you're too kind, buddy. Uh, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at Leprechaun with a K, uh, but the easiest way to find anything that I'm writing or saying is to uh, follow TalkingChop.com, at TalkingChop on Twitter. I am a regular appearance. I'm a regular co-host on the Talking Chop podcast, uh, and I also host the Road to Atlanta podcast, which is a semi-regular uh, minor league podcast where we kind of break down all the minor leagues going on. Obviously, it's been pretty tough over the last year because there hasn't been much minor leagues, but we're really looking forward to kind of getting that back on a on a weekly basis uh, talking about the minor leagues and both those podcasts are on the same stream. So if you subscribe to talking Chop on whatever preferred podcast purveyor you use, uh, you'll get both of those shows and I'm on there quite a bit. Uh, we're going to be recapping minor league games every day, uh, every day once the minor league season starts up again. And we're really looking forward to it. And I appreciate you having me on. Well, I'm a subscriber and a big fan of it. And uh, Eric, I appreciate the time today. Be well, my friend, we'll talk to you down the line. Absolutely, buddy. Take care. Guys, thanks again for joining us. We appreciate it very much. Thanks to the great folks at the Rhodes Group. Remember, the Rhodes Group is where you want to go to have them shop your insurance rates, both car and home. They did it for me at no cost. They will do it for you at no cost, and they can save you a bundle of money. You have nothing to lose and only something to gain with the Rhodes Group. You can go to the Rhodes Group, uh, check out their great website. You can go to my Twitter page and find out the information there with a landing page right over to find out how they can get you 10 quotes as quickly as 10 minutes. Thanks to Brian Murphy for producing the podcast, and thanks to you guys for making us your weekly destination. We'll talk to you next week on Welcome to Madlanta. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play And we ride on them things like every day Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming And parties don't stop till 8 in the morning Welcome to Atlanta where the players play And we ride on them things like every day Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming uh-huh. And parties don't stop yeah. till 8 in the morning The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves And people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Ballou here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. (sighs) Or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing, or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands, an easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at CampMargaritavilleLanierIslands.com.